Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Red Unrestricted podcast. Today's date is Monday the 15th of November 2021. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. My name's Dan Club, and I'm going to be your host this week. I'm joined as ever by my trusty co-host Dave Comerford and we've actually got a returning guest this week so we're delighted to welcome back Callum Sanderson. Um, I'll check in with you, Callum, first from Team Coffish, by the way, but I'm sure you're all very in favour of his work by now. So, Callum, how are you doing, mate? You good? Not too bad, man. Thanks very much for having me back on. Good man, good man. I appreciate you coming back, like I say. Um, we're going to kick off this week. Obviously, we're sort of mid-international break, half coming towards the end now. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel, as it were. So, we're going to reflect on some Liverpool news that's gone on over the past sort of six, seven days since we last played. Um, and we're also going to look back, a look ahead rather, to the Arsenal game coming up on the weekend. But first, we're going to do our usual Who Am I segment. So I'm going to give the lads some clues on a former or present Liverpool player, and they can just shout out when they think they know who it is. So this player was signed on the 13th of January 2010, made his Liverpool debut just three days later, so January 2010 as well. His last appearance came in 2012 and he played 73 times Liverpool, scoring 17 goals. His other clubs, now we get interesting, include Newell's Old Boys, Vale Oviado, Espanyol, Atletico Madrid, then he went back to Newell's Old Boys, to Penarol, and then he finished his career at Newell's Old Boys. We signed him from Atletico Madrid, he was born in Rosario, Argentina. Snow muffin. Okay. And I'm almost out of clues. Um, he won the League Cup in 2012 with us. Off the top of my head, he scored. Oh, is it? Yeah, Maxi um, Rodriguez. Uh, yeah, Maxi. Yes, finally. Yes. Oh, Maxi, I was about Christ. to go into sort of my own facts about Maxi Rodriguez. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> um, yeah, Maxi Rodriguez. Um, did he score four? A hat trick against Fulham in his last game. I think it was a half trick, yeah. Was yeah, half trick. I was gonna say, yeah, I was gonna say four to him. It was a good job, I didn't. Um, but yeah, Max Rodriguez, we got there eventually. Um, but yeah, we'll go into the show now. So, sort of the first breaking news Liverpool-wise during the international break was Michael Edwards confirming his departure at the end of the season. Um, it was something that had been muted previously, but I think the club was still hopeful that he might stay on. That was certainly the noise that was coming out, but obviously. That isn't the case, and he is going to leave. Um, Julian Ward's going to take over, who's kind of been moulded for the role already, it looks like. Um, and I think the club are quite confident that he can sort of pick up where Edwards has left off. So I'll get your initial reaction, uh, Callum, first, please, on Edwards leaving. How do you think it might impact Liverpool? Uh, so when we first heard the news, I was, I was concerned because obviously Edwards has been a massive part of the successful recruitment we've had, especially under Klopp. Yeah. He's been at the club for a long time as well. And I think his work is undeniable. Um, not only has he bought really well, he's managed to sell really well, which for our model is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you sort of take emotion out and you calm down, you sort of think, well, we don't fully know the story. So if Edwards was to go and rock up at another Premier League club, then I'd be a bit more concerned. But it could be a case of he's just been at the club for what over 10 years and he might just want a new challenge now, which you can't begrudge the man if that is the case. He's not done us dirty by leaving halfway through his contract. He's he's running his contract down. Mm-hmm. 
But at the same time, I don't think we'll know the full impact until maybe a year or two down the line when Julian Ward has started to implement his work and we see how the club sort of matures and what direction it goes in recruitment-wise and, and sales-wise. But his work is undeniable. He has been one of the best and biggest pieces to this jigsaw puzzle, which has made Liverpool successful over the last few years. Yeah, definitely. He gets a lot of credit for our success in recent times. It's something you don't necessarily see at other clubs, but you know his work is undeniable and he has been brilliant at what he's done. Um, you mentioned sort of going to another Premier League club there. There's been quite a lot of talk about a Newcastle move. I think he's quite close friends with Eddie Howe. Um, and I've also seen Barcelona sort of linked with uh, hiring him as well this week. So I get your thoughts, Dave. Um, obviously, Callum sort of reflected on what he's done for the club in his tenure. Um, so I get your thoughts on that and also how you think it might impact. Well, I remember when we, we first talked about this, we uh, we were saying it was basically coming at a, a really inopportune moment um, because the club was on the verge, really, of having to rebuild the squad and Klopp mm-hmm. potentially leaving um, in, a, in a couple of seasons' time as well. You know, from, from that point of view, I think it is worrying, but I did a bit of reading this week about um, Julian Ward, who I you know, didn't really know anything about uh, before all this. Um, and there's a few, you know, sort of encouraging details in there. Like, um, apparently he's, you know, being in charge of a lot of the loans recently. And you can look at, like, um, the success we've had with Nat Phillips, Reese Williams and Harvey Elliott from that point of yeah. view. Obviously, they've come back and made a positive impact on the first team. And then... Um, you also have players like Ryan Kent, Ryan Brewster, Harry Wilson, Marco Gruitch, who have, you know, they've not been able to make the breakthrough on the back of a loan, but they've been able to, um, you know, we've been able to sell them for a handsome fee, which is somewhat argue part of the, you know, part of the reason you, you'd loan players out. You know, if you can't get them into your team, then at least you can make money off them and use that on other players. And apparently he was also involved in like, the, the contract talks with Van Dyke, Trent, Robbo and Allison as well. So this isn't someone who's like, you know, he seems like he's equipped um, and he's got, you know, a decent, um, certainly a decent looking TV. You know, you're reading some of the stuff that, that Edward says about him. And mm-hmm. also the fact that FSG have apparently considered like, you know, external candidates um, for the position, but then decided that, um Ward is the is the best man for the job. So, you know, clearly he's sort of impressive from that point of view. And it seems like it's designed to be a continuity appointment and continue and really the the culture, I suppose, that Edwards had a, a large role in creating. And I think the last thing I, I note on this in terms of it not being hugely seismic, but as you know, as Callum said, we'll only know that for sure in a couple of years. Um is that we still have a lot of the key pieces of our sort of transfer network um, in place. You know, it's not like it's a wholesale, like clear out of that department. It's just, it is, Edwards is the most significant figure without doubt, but, mm. you know, you've got um, the likes of Dave Fallows, Barry Hunter, Ian Graham, all those all those guys, you know, they're still going to be in their post. So it's not going to be a huge um, period of transition or anything like that. I'd like to think that it would be especially because he's you know, given quite a lot of notice that it'll be a fairly smooth uh, changeover. Yeah, and in fairness to the club more generally, they have tended to get these sort of things right, especially when it hasn't 
just been sprung upon them, like you say. It's kind of been in the pipeline for quite a while now. So we can hope to get it right. Just to finish on this, I'll come back to you, Callum. Um, obviously, Michael Edwards has been hugely important in terms of selling and, and buying players. And we've, you know, we've acted really well in the transfer market over the past few years, in my opinion. And there have been very few misses. Um, obviously, we've got one transfer market to go with Michael Edwards. Um, and there's been some sort of musings that there might be a sort of legacy signing or a legacy deal. Um, if there was to be the case, I mean, do you expect that to be the case? And do you think we've almost got one last stance for Michael Edwards in January, potentially? Um, as much as I like a fairy tale ending, I, <laughs> I'd be very, very shocked if there was. We don't really tend to do business in January that often. No. And I don't see this January being much different, to be honest, unfortunately. I do think we need at least one or two players in January if we're going to one maintain or push on to have a title challenge but I don't see it happening this season yeah unfortunately I'm inclined to agree with you um as much as it'd be nice to almost have like a, say, a legacy signing for Michael Edwards um I mean that could come in the summer of course I suppose all the work could be done prior but yeah I don't see anything massive happening in January unfortunately um but yeah we will move on um sort of the next breaking news from the uh, international break from a Liverpool perspective was a certain Steven Gerrard um, hastily appointed to Aston Villa. And I say hastily because it just seemed to happen in the blink of an eye once it was almost suggested. Um, so I'll come to you, Dave, on this first. Uh, I mean, it's obviously huge new news, you know, more generally in terms of the Premier League, but from a Liverpool perspective, it's also massive. Um, obviously, he's done well at Rangers, you know, stopped Celtic winning 10 in a row went unbeaten last season in the league um, so pretty you know pretty decent effort he has left them mid-season which I know a few of them are particularly pleased about I think the four points clear at the top of the Scottish Premiership so in decent shape but do you think Aston Villa's right for him was he ready now has he done enough in Scotland to, to have earned this move do you think Dave? I'd say he has he has earned the move you know obviously going unbeaten last season I think the performances in Europe have been pretty good as well um, which you know, some would argue is like a more representative test of of a Scottish Scottish based manager. Um, it's tricky. I think there would have been an element of you know maybe seeing this season out, seeing if he could you know retain that title, um, and in doing so qualify for the Champions League group stages. You know, it did slightly feel that perhaps Gerard might have been a bit torn, um, and thinking that. The, the project that he had there was was slightly unfinished, but mm-hmm. equally at the same time, you know, from what I've read this week, there's almost a feeling that the Rangers team might be coming to the end of its cycle in terms of, you know, key players running, getting towards the end of their contracts. Um, yeah. And, you know, Gerard talked about a lack of backing as well. So maybe there's a feeling mm-hmm. from him that he can't take the team too much further, um, which which is fair enough. Um, in terms of whether he's ready for Villa, you know, it's hard to say. Like, I've not really watched um, too much of of this Rangers team. You know, every, a lot of what you hear is is quite positive. And I think it's important that he's got um, Michael Beale, the uh, the former under-23 mm-hmm. boss at Liverpool with him, because apparently he's a, basically a master tactician. So um, that's certainly going to make his task easier in terms of transmitting his his message and implementing his style um, as Aston Villa. But... Yeah, I guess, I guess we'll only know um, in the next in the next few months whether whether he is or not. And it's it's interesting this Villa job because 
I think, you know, they've started the season poorly, um, not too far off the relegation zone. But I, do you think the squad is really good? And if you can hit on the right formula, then there's potential for, in the short term, like a top half finish and then with maybe a, a little bit more investment, a, a European push. So it's exciting. Um, but it's also a bit of a step into the unknown because obviously the Premier League, managing a mid-table Premier League club is so different to managing in Scotland, essentially one of the two teams who yeah. who has aspirations of winning the league. Yeah, it's a different animal altogether. Um, but Gerard is obviously going to be fully aware of that, having played in the league for so long. Um, and he's not daft more generally. He's going to know what he's stepping into. Although I do think it is a gamble, personally. I think leaving Rangers mid-season... Um, to go to Aston Villa, who have struggled at the start of the season. I think he's inherited a decent squad there, um, but he's got to get him up and running straight away because the last thing he wants is to be sort of fighting a relegation battle in his first Premier League job. Um, you mentioned sort of finances. I think he was going to struggle to get back in at Rangers. I think that might have played a huge part in his decision, if I'm going to be honest. Um, so, Callum, I'll come to you sort of for the your initial reaction, I suppose, to begin with. Um, and also... That upcoming clash at Anfield just around the corner, um, 11 for December. It's currently a three o'clock kickoff. Um, I've got a sneaky suspicion that I might get moved because of the occasion it now is. So, obviously, Gerard going to Villa, what's your thoughts? Um, and how weird and surreal do you think that day at Anfield's going to be now? Um, so, I, I've said this from the very beginning. It feels as though you're watching a woman that you love go off and explore the world and you're not a part of it just yet. Um, anyone who knows me knows Jared is my absolute footballing hero. Um, I love your likes of your Messi, your R9s, but if if you just sit down and tell me, right, you can only pick one footballer that you can yeah. speak to, or like he's the guy, he's the one that I grew up watching and idolising from a football standpoint. But I do think this is a brilliant move for him and mm. it's a great acid test. I think him moving mid-season actually benefits him as well because... I see it similar to the situation with Klopp at Liverpool. He came in during October, obviously Gerard's yeah. a month behind Klopp, but came in the October and he was able to use that rest of the season without any pressure to analyse the squad and see which players he wanted to keep and which players he wanted to move on. And I think Gerard can do that. I think if he goes in there in the summer, he's got limited time to do that. Plus he'd have to focus on player recruitment and player sales as well. Whereas now, he can really assess the squad without too much pressure. And then in the summer, he has a longer time to actually make decisions on what he wants to do. Also, I think Aston Villa's is potentially a sleeping giant. Um, obviously, yeah. they lost Grealish as well in the summer, which is a massive hit. Any club who loses Grealish is going to feel it. So I think he goes there knowing that it's a big club, but it's not a Liverpool type of test. And plus, if he can get them European football then he would have done what no one's been able to done since, do since Martin O'Neill. So he'll go down as another sort of club icon. So he's already secured legendary status at Rangers. If he can do the same at Aston Villa and then in a few years' time when he's ready, he can come over to... He can come home, basically. Sit, mm-hmm. in the, sit in the real dugout and then manage Liverpool and take us to success. It'll be an amazing story. Yeah, it certainly would be. I mean, I think that's what every Liverpool fan dreams about and obviously wants at the end of the day. But there's been some, obviously, disappointments caused a lot of chat amongst Liverpool fans about Gerard and his managerial sort of prospects and prowess. And there has been some reality checks, I think. I've seen quite a few people saying, you know, we all want him to become Liverpool manager, like I say, but he has to be 
Liverpool manager by that point, if that makes sense, he has to be good enough and he has to have proved himself. And this is a massive acid test for him. As much as I think it's a huge chance, and Villa are the club with prospects to go places, and I think the squad's good. I think the backing they get in the market's good. So it's all there for him, but I do think he's got to make the most of it. Um, I'll say with you, Callum, and first, I'll ask you if you're speaking from experience with the person you love travelling around the world and exploring. Um, but also, you've both mentioned Europe there, and I just wonder, what do you view as success for Gerard at Villa? And what would you say, say when he achieves something, what's the landmark when you then go, OK, now I think he's ready for Liverpool? Um, I think for me, it's about having a brand and an identity it's also about ensuring that they've improved upon what they've done previously or they almost have sort of a arrow up trajectory. Mm. I also think he has to push for a European place, whether that be Conference League or Europa, um, but also try and do well in the domestic cups as well. It's, in my opinion, disingenuous to say Villa need to win something under him because you think yeah. of Villa maybe being the 10th best club in, in England. So it's going to be very difficult. A lot of things would have to sort of fall into place for that to happen. But if he can challenge on a consistent basis and show improvement year on year, then I think that would be good enough. Yeah. Dave, do you echo them thoughts? Or do you have something more tangible in mind before we can say, yeah, I think Gerald's ready now? Well, the identity thing is huge, uh, first of all. Um, beyond that, I think, you know, it's going to be very difficult to get Villa into Europe. If he if he does that, then that is, as, as Callum said, a huge achievement. But even if he's sort of knocking on the door of it um, and sort of finishing like top eight, I suppose then then that that's pretty impressive too. But yeah, I suppose it's just you know showing he's got the the tactical awareness um, as well as you know the the actual results. But one thing that you know I'd like to ask both of you is you know say if it, it came down to Gerard and I figure like um, Ten Hag, for example, or say Nagelsmann was was available then. Um, mm. I think we we did a podcast looking at life after Klopp with um, yeah. with Gags Tandon, and he was you know he was talking up Nagelsmann as a potential successor. Mm. If it came down to that kind of decision, would you be more inclined to go with Gerard, the club legend who's had success in the Premier League, or someone who? You know, has maybe already got that kind of Champions League experience, and is also um, potentially more stylistic continuity as well. Um, so I'm keen to see what you kind of think about that. Whether well, you feel like it'd be a sentiment-driven decision. Yeah, that's the thing. Is I'll go first on it just before we let Callum come in. Um, we don't want any manager, whether it's Gerard or not, to be sort of cutting his teeth at any level at Liverpool. Um, and obviously the Champions League is the big one you mentioned there. It's going to be really difficult for Gerard to it's going to be nigh on impossible for Gerard to get Champions League football with Aston Villa. Um so I personally would still like to see us go down the the route of tried and tested and proven. Um, as much as sentiment would love to take over and the heart would be screaming for it to be Gerard. Um, if the other options were available, um I would like to, to see I would like to see us go with them. Um, I'll put it to Callum now, but also I'm going to throw another option in there. And Klopp potentially staying on beyond 24, what would you go with for? Well, that curveball has really thrown my answer. Um, <laughs> you, can answer you, both. Me, you can answer both separately. Um, if you gave me the option, I'm just keeping Klopp. Yeah. 
Um, in terms of the others, though, and again, maybe I'm I'm going to be really biased in saying this. I hope it doesn't come across too biased. Um, but we we speak about sort of Ten Hag and and Nagelsmann, especially Nagelsmann, and we say, well, he's got Champions League experience and he's at Bayern Munich. Dare I say it? I can't remember the last time Bayern Munich didn't win the league or weren't in the Champions League challenging because of the personnel they have. So while it looks good on paper, you could almost argue and say that Gerard's job at Rangers is harder than Nagelsmann's job was at Bayern or is at Bayern Munich. So we automatically assume because you're in the Champions League, you're being tested. But when in actual reality, I, I don't think Nagelsmann is really being tested because he has far and away the best squad in that league, similar to Juventus when they were winning Scudettos back to back for mm. God knows how many years. Bayern Munich are doing the same. There's no real test for them in that league. Ten Hag, I think, has a fantastic brand of football. But again, the Dutch league, we've seen players and managers come over from the Dutch league and, and fail massively as well. So again, I think these names sound better. And sometimes as fans, we almost look down on what we have in front of us and yeah. always try and go for the exotic option. I remember in the summer we were linked to Bowen and people were like, no, no way we should be getting Bowen. We should be getting someone else from abroad when Bowen's tried and tested over here. Why not give him a chance? So I, I think the same with Gerard. Again, I'm not going to be upset if we were to get Nagelsmann or Ten Hag, but I would prefer us to try for Gerard first. Yeah, I think that's fair. I do. Um, I think the other option we're kind of not overlooking, but we haven't mentioned yet, is Pep Linders. Um, I know a lot of Liverpool fans are keen to see almost that boot room uh, method come back into play and maybe see it passed on to him for a period. I don't think he was particularly successful when he was manager previously, but, you know, he certainly learned under Klopp. Um, and when he speaks, I've got to say, when he speaks in press conferences, I think he's brilliant. Uh, I think he's top class. So there's another option to throw into the mix. But for now, that's for 2024. But for now, we've got Arsenal this weekend. Um, and we're going to have a very quick sort of reflection on the last time we were in action, which was at West Ham, um, a game I was at. I nearly said, unfortunately, I thought that wasn't quite the case, but I was definitely at. Um, I'll come to you, Dave, on it. It, it. Liverpool have done this a few times this season, if we're going to be honest. Um, the Brentford game brings to mind in particular, Brighton to a certain extent as well at home. Um, conceding goals is probably the underlying worry. Um, so how worried should we be? By It was our first defeat of the season, so we can't get carried away, but should we be concerned by what happened at West Ham? I mean... First defeat of the season, you can go with a basically a, a results analysis of it or a performance analysis. And mm. from the you know the latter point of view, I think it had been coming um, that defeat and the manner of it, especially you know I think there was one of the goals where they basically killed us off a killed us in transition, um, which has been kind of a major issue for us. Um, so yeah, I think. We'd basically, with the exception of United, we'd really not looked. And the Atletico game, albeit against um, 10 men in large part, but with the exception of those games, we'd really not look convinced. And every time we'd faced what I'd say was a, you know, a good, well-coached team. Um, and I did expect us, I did expect us to win still going into that game, especially because I thought, you know, you'd have Fabinho and Thiago playing from the start and effectively a full strength side, but um that didn't turn out to be the case. And you know, for honest, Thiago was was quite poor when he did come on. Um but yeah, I wasn't I think I'd I'd written in the week about how we'd looked 
like a really good team, but we hadn't looked like a, a champ, championship winner team yet. And um, I think that kind of was borne out in the uh, in the performance and and the result um, at West Ham. But listen, like we do need to we do need to change. I'm not sure it's just going to be a case of having a fully fit squad um, and everything being, you know, back to what it was in, in 1920. I think there might be a need for some sort of tactical tweak, um, which we might come on to in a minute. Because, you know, it's still only November. Like, there's no guarantee that these patterns that we're seeing early in the season that make me worried about our title credentials, there's no guarantee that they'll last our season, you know, I think it's important we do something to counteract it and don't almost just carry on playing this kind of fast and loose um, mm. style that we have, and that's what it, that's what it feels like anyway. So, I I I do think you know you look at the table, it, it looks reasonably okay, um, but I equally don't think we should just dismiss it as a one-off because it definitely wasn't that. It was like I say, the culmination. Yeah, and I think there's warning signs have been there before. Like I say, I think. My main issue is is that we're involved in too many classic games at the minute. Like how many times are we hearing neutral say, "Oh yeah, but what a game that was!" Like the Brentford one springs to mind again. Like I say, people say, oh, "Yeah, it's a great game of football," but we don't really want to be involved in great games of football. Not all the time, anyway. It's nice every now and then, but by November we've been involved in three or four already. You know, Atletico Madrid away is one. You know, and just think we've almost lacked that bit of composure and that cutting edge that we just got in front in a game and just dominated, didn't give sides a sniff, and that's not quite happening this year. Um, just to say on the West Ham game, from my own point of view, I thought we were really poor for a lot of it. I think our two goals came from moments of genius from um, Trent and Dibach Origi. Obviously, I thought it was a really good finish from him. But yeah, I thought in the game, I don't think we were particularly at the races, if I'm going to be brutally honest. Um, so Dave mentions a uh, potential tactical tweak there, Callum. Um, what are your thoughts on what Liverpool can do um, and what you've seen so far and why we are so open maybe and we are involved in so many thrillers? Um, I think the main reason we're so open at the moment is because we have no midfield cohesion. And I think this is the first season where I think players like Wijnaldum, Henderson, Fabinho... Mm -hmm will start to get the respect that I think they've not had over the last few years. We always speak about goals and assists and expected goals, expected assists, etc. Henderson, Fabinho and Gini Wijnaldum were never going to be top of the list for that. But I always go back and I look at the Barcelona team that was so dominant under Pep. And you look at Iniesta, Busquets and Iniesta, sorry, Iniesta, Busquets and Xavi. And if they were playing in today's game, people would be like, oh, well, they don't score enough goals or get enough assists. But what they did do is bring a level of control to that team that allowed the rest of the team to flourish. And I think that is what we're missing at the moment. Mm -hmm. I, I remember Trent saying that Klopp has said, we can take the handbrake off. And look, I have no issue with that. But if you take the handbrake off, you still got to drive carefully. It doesn't mean you just put your foot down to the floor and just drive hundred miles an hour everywhere. So I think, once we start to get things right in midfield, then I think we'll see the rest of the team flourish. In terms of tactical changes, I think we could explore going three at the back. Mm. I think for the first time in years, we actually have the personnel where we can play three at the back. It was like a Virgil, Canate and a Gomez, either side of Virgil. Um, you, obviously, Trent and Robbo or Simicast speak for themselves in terms of their abilities going forward as wingbacks. 
Um, I think the front three stays the same whether you go Jota or Firmino through the middle. And then midfield, again, you could go Fabinho and Henderson or Fabinho and Thiago or Thiago and Henderson. So that would be the only change I'd make. But again, I wouldn't make it as a, that's the be all and end all. You can still switch between 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. But mm. I'd like us to, to sort of trial that and see how it go. Yeah, I think it's a great shout. It's certainly something that's crossed my mind. Um, and I don't think we're, well, listen, we might be a million miles away from it. Klopp's been quite reticent to change formation. You know, even when we were heading games, he very rarely has gone to a back back five previously, but it could be something we look at, especially with the personnel, like you say, he's got in place now. It's certainly all there to do it, in my opinion. Um, and just to touch on the midfielder element, I think you're dead right, because I'm guilty of it as well, saying we need to find midfielders who can score and provide more. But that might have been a detriment to other areas of our game, and the balance just isn't there right now whatsoever. Um, but hopefully that returns on Saturday when we welcome Arsenal to Anfield. Um, I'll stay with you, Callum, on this. Um, what are your thoughts on the game um, coming up, I suppose? What, what have you made of Arsenal recently? They've certainly improved. Um, so how confident are you going into it? So this come, this could really come back to bite me in, in the backside. But I think Arsenal have been good. But when you actually break down their individual games, I think there's been quite an element of luck in some of them. Uh, for example, the last game was against Watford. The goal they scored shouldn't have even have happened. Yeah, yeah. There was a foul, yeah. there was a throw-in, etc. They don't score that goal, they draw that game nil nil with Watford. The game against Leicester City, for example, again, took their chances really well, a couple of ricochets in there. But Ramsdale comes out as your man of the match yeah. by quite a distance as well. So although they're getting the results, I still think their performances leave a little bit to be desired. It just depends on whether we can capitalise on chances that I think we will get against Arsenal. They're not this defensive juggernaut and they're not great in midfield. I think if we get Arsenal early, we can actually give them quite a battering. But if we let them sort of build up momentum and confidence, and I think it will be a really tricky game for us. Yeah, I mean, us giving Arsenal a battering at Anfield certainly brings back happy memories. We've got a good, a very good record against them. Um, but yeah, I'll come to you, Dave, just quickly on your sort of feelings ahead of the game. And I'll also get you to give me um, a predicted lineup, please, mate. Just first of all, about just want to say something about the uh, the tactics um, no, and what we might, on, might yeah. be able to do. I do agree with Callum that there might be a change of formation needed. And it sounds counterintuitive, this, but. I do wonder if we could go to a a four two three one, um, but essentially use is rather than using all four attacking players in the front four. Obviously, for me, I was injured at the moment, but throw like a midfielder in there, um, in the sort of central role, and then if we were to have Fabinho alongside Thiago or Henderson in the two, I just feel as if then you're attack, you almost find yourself attacking with one fewer player because at the moment you've got kind of Fabinho. And the two centre halves are sort of trying to guard against the counter attacks, and then you'll have the two full backs, and then the left and right centre mid will be joining the attack as well, in addition to the front three. Whereas, um, if you were to play four two three one, it's almost like the two holding players are encouraged to stay back as well, gives you an extra layer of protection. So I wonder if that that could work potentially. Um, but yeah, on Arsenal. Callum makes some good points about them being lucky, actually, um, in a way. And I watched that game against Crystal Palace as well, where they just got completely outplayed, really, honestly, and they were lucky to get away with that, um, mm. with a point. So, yeah, you know, you, you as you've mentioned, we've got a 
very, very impressive record in this fixture. You know, we've absolutely humiliated them um, on occasion, just been incredibly mm-hmm. one-sided. Like, they, they've not even looked like a, a, a top side or a re, even a good team in, in some of those games. You made them look, you know, like a lower mid-table side in some of them. Um, but, you know, you look at the likes of Smith-Rowe and, and Saka and you think these are players that if the, the patterns that we've seen so far this season... Um, in terms of being counter-attacked, reassert themselves and these are players who could really hurt us. So, a bit of apprehension from that point of view. Lineup-wise, it's difficult to say right now because yeah. you know we're still waiting to see what's going on with um, with Mane and Henderson. But I guess the the, the the real question marks are, you know, if they're both fit, you know, again, it'll come down to, we, we know we don't really have too much scope for variation with the injuries that we have at the moment. I think the only real thing is Robertson for Robertson and Simicas. Um mm-hmm. and I think probably now most of the supporters, certainly on Twitter, would say would say Simicas, but I don't know. I, I kind of want to have a look into you know, I wanna almost like write something and have like a really close look at Robertson and see if he has been as bad as been made out or whether there's a bit of scapegoating going on. Um because you know, even look at that West Ham game, he I think he plays like this half volley or, or volley there, uh, cushion pass into Mane. Mane put yeah. it straight to the goalkeeper. You know, if Mane scores that, which I think was at one one or two one, I'm not quite sure. I think it was one one to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So if he if he puts on a play for him and Mane scores and we go ahead, then who knows? He could have assisted the match winner. Maybe the narrative is very different. So I don't know. I don't. I, I'm not sure if it's 100 percent fair, but but yeah. Um. So that's really the major lineup yeah. dilemma, I suppose. No, it is. It's 100% is. Um, and I suppose there's a small question on centre-half just to play alongside Van Dijk. Um, for me, it'd be Simicast on the weekend, if I'm honest. Um, my feelings haven't really changed since before the break. Um, I don't think Robertson's been particularly poor, but I don't think he's been up to his standard either. And I've been impressed with Simicast and he's played, I've said it before. So I just feel like it's time. Um, I do, I just feel like it's time for that change even if it was a couple of weeks, I still feel the same um, Callum, your thoughts any particularly standout thoughts on the team that we should be playing on Saturday? Um, I'm glad you guys sort of mentioned the Robbo Simicast thing because over on Copper Street on, fr- on Friday we do a calling show and we had so many people in the comments being like, yeah, Robbo's finished and I was just sitting there and I was like are we being serious? Like the guy's in bad form but <laughs> He's what, 27 years old. He's been the best left back in the world for the yeah. last three years. Like he's allowed to have a bad bit of form. Now, this is also what we screamed about having at Liverpool is having a squad. And we mm-hmm. have a squad now, especially in defense, where if Robbo's having a bad spell, you put Simicast in. So I don't I think this thing's being blown way out of proportion. I think Robbo gets a little break. I think he comes back and he's the same Robbo we saw before. But if he's not, then we've got Simicast and him and Robbo can still rotate with each other. So I think it's a win-win situation. Mm. I would go Simicast in this game because I think he's in better form. And I think Robbo could do it being taken out of the limelight a little bit. And also, he, I'm guessing he's going to be playing a lot of international football with Scotland as well. So I would start Simicast. In terms of centre-back partnerships, I'd probably go Matip at the moment still because I think he reads the game better than Gomez and Canate, even though I think Canate has been good so far. Mm-hmm. I still would go Matip. Uh, midfield, our hands are pretty much tied, so we, we pretty much have got to throw out whoever's fit. And then up top, I'm going to throw in a little bit of a curveball here, but I'd probably go Origi through the middle and Jota on the left. 
Okay. Um, I suppose the question would be, um, if Mane is not fit, of course, Origi or Minamino? Uh, and I'd be tempted to go Origi in that debate, if I'm honest. Um, I think he looked you know, relatively impactful when he's come on. Um, I probably would just side with Matip as well, though I don't think he had his finest hour in East London last weekend, but I don't think anyone particularly did, so it's probably unfair to even suggest it. But like I say, for me, it's just Simicass over Robertson. I mean, that's the main one. Now, I'll get a score prediction off you both. I'll come to you first, Dave. Um, I will go with a much tighter 2-1 to us this time. OK, and Callum? Yeah, not to copy Dave, but um, I think I'm going to go 2-1 as well. I don't see us keeping a clean sheet, but I think we'll just edge them out. OK, well, we'll take that. Um, I'll go 2-0 Liverpool for the, to be different, um, and we also <laughs> could do with something comfortable. Um, but that is all we got time for this week. Um, we are back next week to look back at the Arsenal game and ahead to the Liverpool's upcoming fixtures. 